every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Gaby Boko, CMO at NetApp, a hybrid cloud data services and data management company offering cloud data services for management of applications and data, both online and physically. In this episode, Gaby shares with us why you can't have brand without demand, her desire for partnerships versus handoffs, and the beauty of marketing agility. Gaby also helps us unpack why running a brand of commas isn't the goal, but rather how companies can work towards stabilizing the functions and innovations they offer customers through their brand narratives. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Gaby Boko, CMO at NetApp, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I'm joined by a special guest. Gaby, how are you? Good. I'm great, Ian. Thanks for having me. So excited to chat with you about marketing, about NetApp, about what it means to be the CMO, and everything in between. So let's get into it. What was your first job in marketing? Oh, I was, uh, I was a failed legal person. Like I wanted to go to law school so desperately and I decided this is so dull, I can't do it. I literally can't do it. So my first job, I answered, this is going to be dark ages. I asked, answered an ad in the newspaper to be a marketing person, marketing manager for a catalog company which is now Insight, actually out of, for those of you looking for a good partner, Insight is a great partner out of Arizona. And yeah, I was one of their first peripheral marketing managers. So that was my first marketing job. I knew nothing about marketing. I'm just going to make it very clear from the outset, knew nothing about marketing. I sold my way in on my guts and had a really (laughs) great boss who said, I'll teach you everything else. That's awesome. And flash forward to today, tell me what it means to be a CMO NetApp. It's really exciting. I feel like it's been in my my stars maybe since I took mm-hmm. that first job to to be a CMO, but I have NetApp is a great place to to be right now and to be a CMO because there's so much transformation. I hate that word, but generally it's true at this company. There's so many opportunities for marketing to be a part of the conversation, to drive differently, to, you know, elevate marketing leaders, workers, employees into the larger company. So it's, yeah, it's a stars aligned, good time. Good time here at NetApp. Well, let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? Where you can go and feel honest and trusted and share those deepest, darkest marketing secrets. Tell us a little bit about what does NetApp do and who are your customers? Yeah, what does NetApp do? So NetApp is a storage company at our core. We believe in the kind of storage that drives 
connectivity with data, no matter where you are, data anywhere, any place, any time almost, right? In the cloud, on-premise. And then really our whole portfolio is how to then work with that data, good data services, good way to kind of manage TCO or total cost of ownership with our cloud operations, whether it's in the cloud or on-prem, and how to see it all and manage it all. So a good legacy of being a storage company, and then a way to say storage is great. How do we make that storage the best in the business and, and elevate our portfolio around it? Yeah, and what are the what are the types of, of companies that NetApp is traditionally working with? You know, I think we work with just about anybody. I mean, we're a traditional type company, so there's a lot of really strong enterprise customers, all different kinds of verticals, from entertainment all the way to healthcare government to manufacturing. So very, very traditional on that enterprise side, which most tech companies have. I think the interesting part of us is our cloud business, which allows us to go a little bit smaller, a little bit broader, a little bit more Mm midsize. A lot of those cloud native companies, a lot of those small and medium kind of B2C customers who require more optimization on their on their data from their storage, both in the cloud and, and on-prem. And then last but not least, we really have a, a, a strong, strong business in what I would call the hyperscaler space with the big cloud players like the Amazons and the Azures and the Googles and the IBM clouds, right? So when you think about our diverse portfolio, when we, when we say we're in storage or when we say we're in data or infrastructure, we are really carrying that through no matter where it is. We want to be in those places. So no matter what kind of company you are, then you have the opportunity to use NetApp. I love it. That is, it's a cool place to be in such a cool company. Uh, who's, who's buying, I mean, these pretty large buying committees, potentially obviously for the enterprise, mid-market, smaller, who's in that buying committee? I think that's such a great question because in the last five years, the buying cohorts we've seen change. It used to be just one individual, maybe a director of IT or a CIO who had an agenda. And now even the director of IT, based on what digital transformation is happening, what do you need to do with data? That's broadened, right? You need to include the CFO, you need to include some line of business. So in the enterprises, I'd say it's huge, right? Because a director or CIO is going to activate a lot of people across the company. In a small company, you might just get like a cloud ops person or a DevOps person Mm -hmm. or, or just a director of IT. But that is, that is typically what we're seeing right now. And I think cloud complicates it just a little bit, but I like that quite frankly, because a cloud ops person and a DevOps person is thinking applications, which means they're thinking whole stack, not just box. So it's kind of exciting to have a a different cohort than a lot of traditional, but it's also nice to have it be wholly connected. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that sometimes those sales cycles are longer, but it's, it's, it's Mm -hmm. bigger, it's better. It's more comprehensive as well. And, and how does your how does your marketing team look? How do you structure your marketing work? So I took over a pretty traditional marketing team, brand, mm-hmm. demand, web, digital, those kinds of things. I've not made a ton of changes. The only change I have made is to add field marketing back into it and to add a little more thought leadership into it. So mm. pretty traditional around all those other pieces, events, PR, AR, but I did add thought leadership and and field marketing back in. Yeah, and why did you do that? Yeah, I added thought leadership because, you know, I find that especially today, you know, AI is one of those things. Cloud spend is one of those things. Sometimes thought leadership can get lost in a content 
motion. And I wanted mm-hmm. to really use that as a as a kind of a market accelerator for us to be part of t- conversations and topics that marketing could use. I really believe that marketing is here to make a market. Right. <laughs> you can't do that if you're not seeding the market or in the conversation. Otherwise, you're just reactive. So thought leadership gives me and my team and the whole company a way to to respond and or maybe set a tone versus just kind of waiting for others to carry that torch. And then field marketing I put back into place because I think I'm a failed digital leader as well, but I I think that uh, field marketing is critical to staying, keeping a pulse on sales. I think marketing is a pendulum. I think mm-hmm. traditionally, you know, you're either centralized or decentralized, and I've seen it every which way. I, I am trying to produce what I call a hover state, but field marketing is one of those where it's, this allows me to say, there's some parts of my world I need to keep centralized, some pieces of it that I want to send back to the field and get a closer connection with the customers and the sales team so that I can help at the at the lower end of a funnel or a pipe as well. So those two changes I think are are were important to us right now. Yeah, do you do you feel like the well so what do you mean by hover state? I guess I should ask that first. Mm, hover state. You know, really I think that I hate organizations who go through pretty catatonic, like big swing shifts. So what I'm trying to perfect is how do we kind of if we need to fix something, how to address, you know, small shifts that kind of keep us in this like everybody stays focused, we keep aligned, we're collaborating, we're integrating versus these cat, these just astronomic, we're going to shift all the way over here and we're going to do it completely differently. I think that that takes a lot more change management than just constantly saying, how do we evaluate? Do we need to swing a little left, a little right? Do we need to, you know, change a little bit of our direction? That to me seems like small adjustable changes versus change management. Got to, you're so broken, you've got to fix all of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting that you sort of broke out thought leadership, which is, yeah, it's interesting. So like, how does that, how is that like organized? Like who, who is in that type of a team? Yeah, it's a combo team of our PR team and our AR team. It kind of sits not beholden to either, but part of both. Mm -hmm. It was a way to keep connected to engineers and a lot of our really fantastic CTOs and SEs that we have that produce amazing content and are looking at these kinds of things all the time for our product and portfolio roadmap without dampening their urge to publish something that's completely amazing, but taking that and saying, there's these two things we need to elevate. So it's product marketing without being product marketing. It's market driven without being... I need to, you know, go do this. And it allows us to kind of create things that I'm not going to lie, PR and AR might not have the time to focus on because they really do have full-time plates right? in terms of focusing on that. So it's very complimentary. It's not meant to be, it's not meant to be adversarial. It's really meant to take the best of everything and, and just give it a place to land, a safe place that protects its budget and its people and its, its thoughts really. Yeah. I, well, it's, it's interesting as, you know, a, a company that we spend a lot of time like working with like leaders in thought leadership, whether it's a head of content marketing or whether it's the VP of brand or, or the VP of comms or whomever. And it's something that I think when you talk about sort of like the, like create demand function of like putting your thoughts and like your view of the world out there and really like your view of the world overall. And then your view of like the next 90 days and the next year and the next two years, 
that like that is separate from a product roadmap, right? Because <laughs> the product roadmap is like how you're going to serve your customers, but your view on the world matters for like, you know, where the market is going or where the industry is going and yeah. like pushing that stuff forward and being forward thinking. And like, nobody wants to buy from a company that's not forward thinking, right? Like exactly. you just, you don't, I mean, unless you're buying something that's like, you know, like, like a Frisbee. I don't know if I need my Frisbee manufacturer to be super forward thinking, but in technology, like you have to be, because it is the industry. It's our currency that we, we live in every day. Yeah. It's a way to manage innovation and the ideas around it in a way that says, you know what, I might not be able to devote an entire set of marketing capabilities or activities to this, or even a, maybe I'm not even selling anything, but I can at least have a conversation in the market with my customers, with influencers, and I can decide if this is a space that my customers need me to go in, or if I believe strategically the board and the, the C staff want to go in. It's just a, it's a really nice way to protect the idea. It's also really important, I think, that you protect it from the concept of becoming strategy. Because mm -hmm. if not, sometimes we bury thought leadership in strategy. And then we're wondering why it never really becomes thought leadership, because you spend all that time kind of doing strategy, which is to me, a completely separate discipline needs to be done. Like I said, it was a, a safe place to go have the conversations while all that other goodness is happening. Yeah. And how do you view demand as part of your, your work? So I, and demand is so interesting to me. I think that every CMO is saddled with, are you brand? Or are you demand? I think that you have to be both, right? You yeah. can't generate demand if you don't have a brand and you can't, build a brand if you don't have any demand. So what we've really tried to do, I've focused on some of the basics. We have a, had a really good base on the digital experience. So we're just trying to up that ante and get a little more no touch and soft touch, which I'm really excited about elevating our personalization and our journeys on with content. I think where we tried to go to when we thought about demand is what do we need to give touch to that is not generating a quote unquote lead, but is maybe helping move things through the pipeline or helping it to close. So really thinking about marketing in service to an engine, which is the sales engine and saying, we don't want to be the group of people who generate demand and throw it over the fence and say, hands off, not going to do it anymore because we have budget choices to make. So we really tried to think about it as how do we do certain things in demand that help us really in that middle of the funnel and to the lower part of the funnel and pipe that are helping us be shoulder to shoulder with sales. So we do, we let the digital engine carry a lot up front. We let physical events carry a lot up front. And then we really do focus in on things like campaigns or offers or sales plays, ABM, regional ABM surround, EBCs, you know, every tool in the book to really kind of go mid to lower so that we can help get more velocity out of the pipe. And we can help convert more in the pipe, which I think is is an interesting way to view demand. It's so far being really well accepted because it's a partnership with sales versus a, a handoff. And I think that was really important to me as a new CMO coming in. I needed a partnership, not a handoff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Any other thoughts on sort of marketing strategy? I, I mean, I'm in marketing because I like the I like the spontaneity and the agility of it. If it was the same job every day, I would be highly, highly disappointed. <laughs> the good news is, I think, is that, and I think many CMOs are in the same spot. 
a lot of the things that we've seen come around are coming back around again. A lot of the things we put into place over the last five years, we're able to take to the next level. That's why I'm in marketing. I think marketing strategy needs to be able to make those calls, prioritize when it needs to. Like ABM, like I said, we didn't we prioritized it much lower in the funnel versus higher in the funnel. Events, we prioritized more middle and top of funnel versus lower in the funnel. So I think that's the fun part about marketing. I think marketing strategy has to be customer and sales driven versus necessarily market driven sometimes. So anyway, I love it. That's why I'm in this job. I love, I love that kind of agility that marketing brings. Okay, let's get to the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Where you open up the playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your uncuttable budget items? Mm. For me this year right now, it's events because people are just jonesing for the face-to-face brand because I need to address what I call a brand of commas. We've created so Mm. much great stuff over the last, let's say, decade, but all we've done is kind of added a comma every time we added like a new function or a new innovation. So I think we need to stabilize that for our customers. And that's not necessarily the look and feel. That's more about the narrative, which I think is really important. And then the last uncuttable thing for me, quite frankly, is digital. I think it continues to be a a driver for all things, including experience, including demand, including, you know, just, just generally simplification of the business. So those are my three uncuttables. Zooming into, into your, the brand piece here and, and having the, the brand of commas, which I love. That's a great expression. And that's, you know, that's how a lot of companies feel and a lot of CMOs feel, especially when they come in and they say, okay, how does this, how does this feel holistic, but also different to other people? Yeah. What, what's, what was your approach sort of trying to, you know, eat the cake one bite at a time there? Yeah. It's something that I had the luxury of being the SVP of portfolio marketing at NetApp before I was the CMO. And it really started to come out that, you know, we can redefine or talk about our portfolio, but every time we do, we kind of keep smacking into the brand. That's not what our brand says. The brand of commas started as a conversation with my CEO where I said, I don't know if we need to, you know, creatively rebrand or visually rebrand everything. We might, and that's fine. But I think critical to us is to, is to fix this who we are statement because it's harder to compete. It's harder to sell anything that's net new. And I'd like to start working on that. I did that even before. I think that was day five of my job. I was like, we need to fix this and we need to be able to get to it this year. So I think that it's paramount to who we are as a company. It's paramount to how we sell. I mean, it's really hard to sell an entire bag of doorknobs if you don't know what door it goes to. So I, I think, and I'm super happy with, uh, with a CEO and a president who said, yeah, let's go, let's go do that. And I've been given, I've activated so many people across the company, so many customers, so many people are thinking about being customers, partners that tell us what's good, what's wrong. Where do we need to double down? It's been a really connecting experience, I guess, but it's also been a really centering experience. We're still in it, by the way, we're not fully done, but it's been good. I'm glad I did it. Any things that sort of surprised you in the in that journey? <laughs> well, one thing that was consistent, I would say that everybody is a marketer when it comes to brand. Oh, yeah. I am 
blessed with many geniuses on how we should talk about ourselves. I would say the most surprising thing is, is the desire to not be truly innovative in it, but to be more stable and more centered. I think that sometimes you think that when you talk about brand, you want to be like, make a Nike, just do it moment. Well, Nike just do it was actually how they did business, right? It wasn't like a, they weren't trying to break anything. And I think that that was, it's hard for marketers, especially branders to say, listen, you're not trying to come in and break it. You're not trying to be unusual. You're trying to be who you are. And I think that was really an interesting kind of set of work that we had to do with ourselves to say, who are we? Who are we? We aren't who we think we are or have been saying we are. We're something else. What is that? That's kind of cool. Y'all have also launched NetApp TV with tons of different types of content on there, which is really cool. Won some awards. You have a bunch of different series, obviously a huge investment in video as, you know, digital channel. Curious, like, how do you think about investing and creating NetApp TV and that whole hub? Yeah, it's one of the smartest moves we ever did. We're certainly still committed to creating amazing content and creating especially video content, which I think people respond to pretty well. I think what we're playing around with right now is, is the platform as exciting or are they getting that same content that is served up on NetApp TV and other places? And do we just connect that back into our digital structure? So I think we're trying to see where people are consuming that content, but no no doubt there will be NetApp TV content in perpetuity. We think it's a winner. We think it's something that we need to continue to do. I think we're just as everybody, right? Like what platform are people consuming it on? Do we need to just go there and create that that content moment for them? I think that's a content conversation that I find yeah. really interesting coming out of like COVID and everything else where everybody was like about their platforms, right? I think so many people are looking externally at the kind of content that they want to consume. Sometimes I think it's less about what you build and it's more about where you put it. And if you can put it in more places and make it accessible, then I think it's job done, right? You don't have to go kind of kill yourself on the platform. But the idea that we didn't want to lose, quite frankly, when it came to the content is NTV, NetApp TV. That is, it's, it's a really great kind of hallmark of NetApp. And it's turned into something that people recognize. The stuff, not the platform. So, you know, I think we'll play with it a little bit, but it's the best content move we've made in the last five years. I mean, it, it's it's not hyperbole to say that it's one of the most innovative content investments that a technology company has made, a B2B com- technology company has made. I think that there's also the stuff moves so fast and the evolution of that. I mean, like this is obviously like Caspian is what we do as a business. So we think about this stuff all the time, but like we think about things like multi, multi-format, multi-channel. That's like how we think about things like you need to be in video, you need to be in audio, you need to be in written word, you need to be short form video, and you need to be wherever it is that people are consuming things. So I think that part of the like, you know, part of marketing is, you know, sort of the the building on the shoulders of giants things, where it's like, it gets you to this place, and then it gets you to this place, and then it gets you to this place, and it like is iterative, and you get, you know, those lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's so cool. I mean, like, I think it's like inspirational what you've built and then like, okay, now we have all this stuff and how do we, what is the next evolution of this sort of like concept? So I'm, I'm right there with you. Oh, I love that. I love that. Listen, it's, you have to commit to it, right? Content isn't a, isn't a one hit wonder. It's a, it's a way of life. So 
the fact that we have it and have committed to it and continue to commit to it, I think says volumes for how important we think content is to the digital journey and to our sales and pipeline journey as well. Well, you know, you talked about thought leadership and you talked about getting these experts that you have, getting their thoughts out there, getting senior leaders thoughts out there, you know, building these things like it's so interconnected. All this stuff is so interconnected. Right. And I think that like what's so hard about it is like you say like video, like video is like a ridiculous term in and of itself. What does that even mean? Because like when I watch a Netflix movie, it's on a video and I watch something on my phone, it's a video. When I watch a webinar, it's a video. When I watch like, you know, like it's so it's so complex. It's like saying the written word, you know, like that doesn't, you know, it's all so different. You have to invest in it in different ways. I know one of my one of my favorite episodes or one of my favorite series that NetApp TV does is by somebody named Matt Watts who does What's the Future, mm-hmm. and he literally kind of takes some of those same conversations that you've got, talks about AI, talks about digital, talks about sustainability, walks the streets, but then gives opinions, and it's that's that's to me what content is meant to do. It's meant to be so interesting and so engaging. It can bridge the the person and bridge the moment and go back to no matter what channel I can watch this and, and kind of consume it no matter what. Yeah. 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 And I think that so much of, I I like the idea of like the Coca-Cola analogy where it's like, they, they don't want you to, they're not trying to market to people to drink, you know, 5,000 Cokes. They want everyone to drink one Coke a year. Right. And like, that's like the people who love Coke are going to go drink it a bunch of it, but it's like, they just want the sort of like engaging the non-consumer. And that's how I think about content and micro content and, and thought leadership and all that is like, if I can just get them to pay attention for 18 seconds, that's great. If I can, someone spends 45 minutes on a podcast, that's great. It's like wherever they're getting value, however they're getting it. And that's how they want to consume it. Like that's totally fine with me. It doesn't matter at all if like, they spend an hour with me or 18 seconds, right? Right, I agree. That's why there has to be so many different kinds of content, right? You can't just have one one motion. I heard, this is a funny thing. I was talking to someone who's listening to one of our shows and they said, I really don't like the first part, but I love that second part, for I nor- so I normally skip it. And I was like, great. The fact that you love any of it is great. The fact that you listen is great. And I, is it helpful? Like, what is it about the first section that you didn't like of, you know, is this is mm-hmm. a different show, but like, that's the sort of thing. Like, those are the insights that we have as marketers now that like are so fascinating, right? It's yeah. like, oh, people skip this and now they watch this. Like, why don't we just break out the second part? We can run that as its own show. Maybe there's other people who feel that way. Like that, that part is really exciting to me. And digging into like, why, well, why do you like this? What is it about it? You know, et cetera. Isn't it so amazing? The modularity of what we do today is just off the charts. Yep. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and I think it's so incredible that when we're not there yet, but that we're getting data that's really dynamic and cool. And then with tools like qualified who who sponsors this podcast and we love to death. And then with tools like, like qualified, it's like, Oh, once you show up to the actual website, then a salesperson can talk to them. So it's like, it's this, it's this dual way of doing things that you can be so modular and then also, you know, present on the internet to, to hook into a sales conversation. Like, Hey, I know that you've consumed these seven things and like, this is why you like this, this, and this, like, Hey, we got this new thing that you probably are like, and it can be really personalized. Like, I just love that stuff. Sounds like we're in the right businesses. Right. I know. 
Okay, so what about something that maybe you're not investing as much in or something that I don't want to say we're going to give budget away because we're not, but but mm-hmm. you're, you're more cuttable budget item. I don't actually know if it's cuttable. I think that it's it's the cheapest form of marketing when you think about any, any communications. I think what we're trying to do is be far more strategic when we think about our communications plan. So for instance, we, we were, we're going to devote more resource instead of supporting, let's say, executive communications teams, and we're going to be supporting more kind of placements and thinking, you know, garnering stories for those executives, which is different than, let's say, internal executive support for how their internal communications go. So I think it's, it's not necessarily cuttable. It's just a redirection of funds to say this element of what we were doing is maybe not as important as this part of our world now. So I think that that's a, that's a, where we looked at it and said, priority wise, we shouldn't do this for the time being. We need to put all of the dollars in this one space against this, this one way to do it. So that's, that's one good one. I think the second one that I'd probably say is, again, back to brand. We're putting the dollars in on the narrative, not putting the dollars in on a branding campaign. Mm. So again, it's taking the strategic dollars and saying, let's go get the basics right and then not spend money over on this so we can go spend money on some other things until we get some of this other stuff right. You don't need to plant the flag and then defend the flag all in the same year. Maybe you just spend some time to getting it right and planting it and getting everybody engaged versus, you know, saying, okay, now we're done. Let's go. Let's go out into the market. So, you know, I think it's it's strategic choices like those two that are the important part of our budget this year, but it's also kind of the, like goes back to what I said. I love the agility of marketing to be able to say, that's not relevant for me right now. I'm, I got to do this. And I, I think it's really important to have a good, a good team around you to say, yep, you're right. We support that. You don't have to go do everything. Some, some CMOs, I, I, you're shackled with everything. I've been in that seat, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. nope, you just got to peanut butter it all the way across. I think that that's the hardest place to be in. Yeah, I I almost reject the notion of the quote-unquote big brand campaign as something that is... Required? Yeah. I mean, it's like you need to have always on stuff and like part of your brand campaign, like you have a brand campaign called right. like NetApp TV. You have a brand campaign called these events. Like those are just as much brand as they are demand and... It's how people interact with you, like mm-hmm. how they interact with you at events, how you treat them at those, you know, the types of stuff that you're making. Like that's, that's why it's like tough to me. It's like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean just, we're not going to run a bunch of like TV spots or a Super Bowl ad? Like, right. you know what I mean? And well, and that's, and that really comes down to what you're trying to accomplish as a company, right? I think for us right now as NetUp, I think it's more important for us to really get to where we need to get to on the business you know, continue to to help our customers and our partners and people who want to work with us confirm our strategy for them and mm-hmm. make them feel solid about this brand. Nobody feels solid about a brand just because they saw you during a, a World Series game. It's just yeah. true. Yeah. I, I'm not going to say never, right? Because it's every marketer's dream to run a killer, beautiful ad, cam- you know, creative campaign. That's like, not, I, I'm not going to say no to it. I, I just don't need it right now. Right, right. And that's, yeah, that's sort of what I was getting at is that like idea that, that it, that you always need to have that like yearly flagship. Okay. This is what our, we're doing this year sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's cool. Also, it's just hard in B2B to, 
It's so hard. Brand is so critical in B2C. I mean, it really is what drives B2C. Consumer decisions are very brand oriented. I think when you move over to B2B, it's more of a trust and a strategy kind of confirmation. It's not necessarily a, I'm going to buy you because I like your brand. I mean, it's part of it, but not as much. So I think it's hard. Any favorite sort of like campaigns or little mini campaigns or things that you've done over the last couple of years? Last couple of years? Mm, no, but I mean, like you look back at your career and you say, wow, I love doing that. I'm going to try to do it again. So like one of those that I did at a three-letter company <laughs> was about 100 days of customers. And I definitely have have thought about how I did it there and then implemented something kind of similar over here where it's like, how do you think about your customer? How do you tell that story? Customer storytelling, I think is really important, but yeah, it's, those are some of my favorite are ones that involve customers because it's so, they get so real so fast. Agreed. Could not agree more. I think it's like the most under invested part of every single B2B marketers customer mm-hmm. stories. Like it's just mm-hmm. criminally it, just the way that they're told, how they're told the frequency, the volume, the like, they're so cookie cutter. They're so done the same way. They're so, and then you do, you're like, we're going to do this cool shoot. And then we're going to do 10 of them. We're going to do them all this way. And you're like, well, what about all the others? Yeah. It's like, you could tell them in every format in every way and everything a million yep. thousand times, and it would be probably worth it. I agree. I think too, one of the ad, the outcroppings of that is the sponsorship. You know, there's a lot of tech sponsorships. We have our own sponsorships. I like sponsorships to be a magnification of those stories where we're investing. 100%. And so I, I, I see a lot of that more so in our strategy because it's easier to take advantage. It also is kind of like a nice partner to listen. If you don't have a physical alliance or an OEM relationship or even a, an ISV relationship, there might be companies who just want to do like marketing with you yep. that you can tell a symbiotic story with. So I think storytelling in general, if you, if you're doing it from a customer perspective, be, be smart and be innovative. You don't have to cookie cutter, but just tell more or tell more often and then extend that out. Storytelling is so powerful to talk about relationships, tech relationships, thought leadership relationships. So we're really trying to, I'm trying to invest in that in our, in my own team so that we have more of those at bats. And because I think they make a difference, they make a huge difference. We did that. We did that once we had two customers that partner and partner marketing is always like the most fun, worst thing in the world, because you're just like, you know, if you can get two partners that are great together, it's awesome. If you have two partners that like, aren't really, it's like super painful And we just went down the list, found all the shared customers and like did a bunch of those stories. And it was freaking awesome. It's a game changer. I had a customer a while ago where I just knew him. It was a CIO of a, of a mm, entertainment company. And I was new into a role and I was trying to help people understand how to tell a story. And I called him and I was, because I knew he was a great storyteller. I was like, listen, I don't have a plan, but you're really good at this. Do you mind if I bring a crew out and if I start shooting and if we formulate the story with you on site? And he's like, yeah, come on. So literally we were at this entertainment customer all across their company. We got permissions. We got permissions to say what to say. And it ended up being probably one of the most watched, the most used storylines because they were an excited customer. They were willing. They were open. We didn't do anything that caused any issue, but just the, the act of there's trust there between me and this customer to 
and their, the support and the love and the honesty to come and just unpack a really cool story. I love that when that happens. That's just so great. I love that. That is, that is fun. You mentioned events. You have NetApp Insight coming up October 23rd to 25th in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. If our listeners want to go check that out. Thank you so much for the We can link it up in the show notes. Events are huge. You've mentioned a few times, like, how do you think about, you know, what's your event strategy? You mentioned that the really cool idea of just like using those for customer stories, which is obviously huge, but yeah. How else are you thinking about doing events this year? Yeah. You know, it's, we're trying to give people the opportunity to, to meet face to face. You know, I think insight is, is interesting. I think everybody, how do you cut through the noise? Everybody does one, right? How do you pick, you know, like it's ridiculous to think that our customers don't or use only us. They probably have got like, you know, 10 or 15 vendors, you know, like how do we show up on that list? I think we're trying to make that really compelling for our customers and also make it so it's like, listen, you might come this year. You might not come this year. We want you to come next year. So Mm -hmm. trying to make it so that the event isn't a don't miss out. There's no FOMO here. If you're a customer of ours, we know you'll show up there and we want to make sure we meet you where you are and insight. If you come this year for insight, which we hope you do, that's great. If you decide you can't make it, then we've got a variety of other places you can come to. We should have great partners, great alliances. We want you to show up there. We'll make that all the same things that happen in Inside happen at those. We have fantastic EBCs, which we have mobily so that we can go around the world any given time. Again, we bring the same messaging and the same kind of great things to it. So I think what we're really just trying to do is is answer the one question is how do we get in front of and, and get face-to-face customers to net up? partners to net up right and that's what we're trying to facilitate we're not trying to like jam it all in this has got to be the best ever it does have to be great and we're focusing on that but the conversation and the experience go hand in hand and if you are at one and you want to go to another one great if you can only do one we'd love to have you there let's get to our next segment the dust up Uh here comes trouble you may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly as we've got punches and kicks. Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales team, your competitors, or anyone else. Have you had a memorable dust-up in your career, Gaby? Many, many, many. I, I, I don't actually think it's like, I hate to call them dust-ups, but you know, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't go head to head with each other. You can't be that nice. So yeah, there are moments where, you know, we choose to show up and take advantage of things and you, you take the heat comes with it. I'll go way back in the time machine. So I don't pull anybody who's like current out, but yeah, I did a, I went straight after a vendor in when I was young and youthful and I hit him right where it hurt. And I got a cease and desist that went all the way up to the CEO and I got a little bit of a slap, but at the end of the day, it it caused a lot of conversations. It made us think about how we message. I think competition in tech is already hard. It's rude to be rude. It's smart to be strategic and to think about how you can position yourself better than anybody else and to take advantage of opportunities to do that where your competitors are not. So I am wholeheartedly in the game and want to be in it, but I am not going to be underhanded or rude about it. All right, let's get to our final segment, quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers. Okay. Just like how quickly qualified.com helps companies generate pipeline faster, tap in your greatest asset, your website to identify your most valuable visitors instantly. And I mean instantly. Start sales conversations right there on the site. 
quick and easy, just like these questions. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Gaby, are you ready? I am. Number one, do you have a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume? Yes, I play piano. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, or TV show that you've been checking out recently? I knew you were going to say something like that. Uh, Lincoln Lawyer. Sorry, I'm just like, I like legal drama. It's probably back to the failed lawyer in me. And books, I mean, you pick one. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. But right now I'm reading Cooking Smitten Kitten, her most recent cookbook, because I'm getting tired of cooking in the heat. So there I am just, that's the truth. Ooh, what's your go-to like hot weather food? <laughs> the grill, which is so funny because it, I live in Arizona. So it can be like 110 outside and then you turn the grill on and put it up to 400 and you're like, why am I out here? But yes, <laughs> anything on the grill, shrimp, steak, chicken, veggies, love it. Grill is my go-to when it's hot. I don't want to be anywhere in a kitchen. If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? I'd be a photographer for National Geographic. However, I have to change that now since National Geographic fired all of its photographers and isn't going to do that anymore. But I always wanted to do that. What advice would you give to a first-time CMO trying to figure out their marketing strategy? Mm, don't focus on the strategy. Focus on your customers and focus on the, the team around you. They're going to probably point you in the right direction. If you make a marketing strategy that doesn't connect to either one of those, then you might as well stop. I love it. This has been awesome. Gaby, so fantastic. For our listeners, you can go to netapp.com to learn more. You know, data management, cyber resilience, artificial intelligence, enterprise applications, DevOps, so many things that NetApp solves. And you could go check it out. Gaby, any final thoughts here? Anything to plug? No, thank you. I mean, NetApp is the place to go. Watch us. We're, we're doing great, great transformational things. And thank you, Ian, for inviting me on to talk about them. Thanks again to our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.